Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this special edition of the Nonprofit Exchange. And Russell, I said special because every week turns out to be special, doesn't it? Everything is special when it comes to running nonprofits. And if you don't believe that, just stick around and you'll hear otherwise. And it's a beautiful day here in Aurora, Colorado. What's it like in Lynchburg? We got those old mountains here, you know, ones that are green and all smooth. They're not pointy like your mountains, but the, it is a fabulous day, a sunny day in June. And we just had some rain this week, so it's not too hot. It's just lovely. And lovely day to approach this topic of boards. And our guest is the, uh, the chief principal founder. I don't know. You tell us about yourself, but your company organization is Boardable. Jeff Banner, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. And tell our listeners a little bit about you and why are you doing this work that you're doing? Thanks, Hugh. Uh, Russell, thanks for having me on the, on the podcast. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and, and uh, your guests. Uh, yeah, Boardable started as a opportunity was brought to us by United Way here in Indianapolis. And it's beautiful here as well. It must be beautiful everywhere right now in the U.S. It's really nice. Um, and they needed a board portal. They had uh, you know, 100 board members. They have a lot of committees. And they were frustrated trying to manage all those groups with uh, email, which most boards use. It's just email, maybe Google Drive, uh, Microsoft Teams. And so in talking to them, we realized that, that a lot of nonprofits had this problem. And at that point, I had founded a couple nonprofits here in Indy. Uh, one was a musical nonprofit. I know, you you have a background in music, obviously. Uh, musical Family Tree, which serves Indiana uh, original composition uh, uh, musicians, people that are writing and recording their own music. And then the Speakeasy, which serves the entrepreneurial community. It was the first co-working space in the state. So I had chaired both those boards at that point and really experienced the, the pain of managing a board uh, via email and these other, I call it digital duct tape, all these tools you kind of tape together that aren't purpose-built for board management. And so the group of us, the group of the founders, uh, said, why don't we just uh, take a bet here and build out a beta version of a board solution and give, them, give it away to some nonprofits here in Indianapolis, this is in 2016, and see how it goes. And immediately we had really good uh, feedback and validation. And uh, we realized that we were onto something pretty big. Um, and over time, I, I found myself being pulled more and more in, into that business. And I was running another business at the time that worked mostly with nonprofits called Smallbox, a uh, creative agency here in Indy. And so as we raised some money and as the, the business took off, I shifted from Smallbox to Boardable in the course of 2017. I went full-time in 2018, and my wife actually took over uh, the, the agency, Smallbox, and runs that now. And uh, we're all in the same building here in Indianapolis in an old library. So we, uh, we still get to work together, but different floors. Awesome, awesome. So, Jeb, um we, we write a plan, set some goals, and we give it to the board, and it's all a done deal, right? The board just embraces it, and they know exactly <laughs> what it is. What is your experience with boards? Boards are busy. Boards are overcommitted. Often, board members are serving on multiple boards. They're spread thin. Uh, 
you know, this is one of the challenges we want to solve in the product, uh, eventually building out a talent marketplace on uh, Boardable's platform to give boards access to a wider pool of talent. Uh, you know, th- this is a real challenge. Th- these great people that serve on boards so often get called to serve on other boards. Um, and so when they show up, they're, they're often reading the material in the, at the stop sign, on the drive-in, in the parking lot, during the meeting. They're not always prepared. Uh, and so board members, as, as much as they really want to give everything they can, they don't really have the time to do it uh, because they're spread so thin. Uh, so nonprofits struggle to hold board members accountable because they don't, they don't feel comfortable asking them to uh, follow through in the way they should sometimes or to really do the role that they're, they need to do in the organization because they're volunteers. It's hard to make demands of a volunteer. And so a lot of what we're trying to do is build into the product ways for those board members to be nudged towards the right behaviors. Well, this is fascinating. Russell, you worked with um, a uh, nonprofit Indian agency, Indian reservation for many years. Um, are you hearing some things jump out about boards that you'd like to probe? Well, you know, it's tricky to keep communication. Uh, communication is probably the biggest challenge that board leaders and boards have. We had the challenge up there where I was working, uh, geography working against us. Uh, Our board members were scattered over an area uh, that was about the size of Rhode Island and Connecticut combined in in the county called Aroostook. And so our council members, the governing body, or board if you will, would travel from long distances, 60, 65 miles, some of them, to attend the meeting. And we had uh, bi-weekly meetings. Uh, and of course, in Northern Maine, weather's an issue. So mm-hmm. being able to communicate uh, is, uh, is pretty tough and there's more mm-hmm. technology available for that. But there's challenges uh, in, in conducting board member meetings and staying in touch. And so, uh, Yes, I agree that getting things done can be tough. It can be pretty tricky, you know. So, you know, a lot of times when, when folks like you, entrepreneurs and, and, and uh, consultants, people have problems that just drive them bananas, that keep them awake. What were some of the key things that were driving you crazy that you said, I've got to fix this, that motivated you and inspired you to, to, to develop a platform to help board members uh, operate an organization more smoothly. Yeah, absolutely. I think the number one thing is it, it, communication is a big part of it, Russell. What you just said there is, is very true. Um, keeping up that communication in between meetings um, and doing it in a way that, that um, gives, meets people where they are. Like, you know, like everybody kind of advantages. The problem with boards is there's no continuity. If you're using those kinds of tools, they're not built for that. They're built more for immediacy. Um, so that centralization was like pain point number one. Um, so then after that comes the communication pain point of just having a place where you know that everything flows through that. If you start a discussion in Boardable, it goes into their inbox. It goes into, you know, their, their phones, whatever else they're doing. And they can respond and it goes back in. So it's always back in the system. Uh, that, that's a real headache. Um, and then the third thing we really thought about was just it has to be super easy to use. Like it has to be simple. 
you, if you give a board member a tool that they can't use, if they can't log in, they can't make sense of, it's worthless. It can do all the things in the world, but it's worthless. Um, so those are some of the pain points we're looking at. Now, as we've gotten into it further, we think about it a lot more around um, engagement. Um, and we have different dimensions of the engagement we think about as well. But we can chat about that a little later. But the, the initial problems were really that centralization, communication, and simplification. Boardable.com, B-O-A-R-D-A-B-L-E, Boardable.com. It's quite an impressive site. Um, Thank you. So, so we got a couple of folks. Um, want to shout out to Don Ward. He's on the, the feed. Don Ward is in Orlando. Florida, and he said he's the president. He's the president of the CEO clubs in Central Florida. Has groups that talk about leadership and business development and nonprofits. He said board members need to be trained. They think their input and power is far more than it was ever supposed to be. What if dot dot dot? How would you respond to that, Jim? I think that setting and managing uh, expectations with a board member, and that's part of that training around what their role and responsibility is in the board. Different boards have different, different levels of responsibility to the organization. Some boards really do have a high level. I mean, fiduciary responsibility in most cases. So that there are real consequences to their decisions, but they often don't really understand that. They don't really understand that they're playing with fire, if you will. These, this is not a practice. Um, other boards are more advisory, where really they're just giving input. So I think defining that role and saying to the board member, hey, this is what we expect of you, this is your lane, and being clear about that up front through board training, onboarding, uh, through mentorship, like giving them a, a mentor to work with on the board, is a missed opportunity. I would say, based on our, our research, uh, two-thirds to three-fourths of boards fail to do any onboarding or training. Um, and then you have a board member that doesn't know what's expected of them and they kind of run wild. So I agree with that, that comment. I think that board members, um, not, not maliciously, they just don't know their role. So they, they kind of do whatever they think they need to do. You're, you're so right. And without clear expectations, uh, leaders are actually setting up conflict. Because people don't know where, where to, they can't color inside the lines because they don't know where the lines are. That's right. And, so, and I think a lot of times leaders are, are timid about this. They're uncomfortable having that conversation. They're uncomfortable telling that powerful donor that's joining the board, don't do this, do this. You know, like they're, they're, they have trouble giving them that, those lines because they're writing checks, right, in some cases, or they're influential. Um, and so they struggle with that accountability and that clarity. That's a big deal. Uh, you know, um, I hear leaders say, well, I can't correct them because, you know, they're, they're volunteer. They're giving their time. And I served uh, megachurches for 40 years, and I had plenty of opportunities to fire volunteers. And sometimes they were happy about it. Most of the time they were happy about it because they knew it wasn't a good fit. And actually, I got to a place we eliminated the word volunteer because a lot of the language, like nonprofit, which is a lie, volunteer, which is dumbing down, some of the language we use um, – actually contributes to the lower functioning. So in the church, we, we created members in ministry. It was a leadership position. And in my symphony, we're creating, I'm, I'm president of a symphony here. We're on the road. They don't know yet of creating a servant leader models where people have a track and they lead and in the model here. So there's a, there's a whole lot of things that we set up 
that we unintentionally set up problems. Mm -hmm. So talk about this, um, this, there's a, I guess a fear of conflict. People want to stay away from it, which actually fosters it. So making mm -hmm. course correction doesn't mean you have to tell people they're wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. Of course correction. So talk about that, that interaction, would you please? That's Absolutely. a really big deal, I think. Absolutely. Um, I often think about, are you familiar with Patrick Lencioni, the author? He, uh, five dysfunctions, five of, dysfunctions a of a team. So you look at that, that pyramid there, you have trust. You have to have that trust in order to have conflict, which gets into commitment, which then leads to, a, has accountability to reinforce it, which outputs results. So to have that alignment there, you have to start with that trust. So building that trust, so really making sure that that board member is part of, and trust is about being part of a team, about feeling like they're safe to speak up, they can talk about their concerns, they feel like they've got, they're in a safe space to speak their mind. Um, it's very hard to engender that without some of that team building work that you need to do uh, with boards. That's, there's some socialization to that. There's some, I, I, I use a design thinking uh, framework when I work with boards to do uh, small group activities, to really push conversations and connections so that people feel like they know each other and there's a foundation of trust so they can start to move into that conflict. Because conflict is critical. You need to have conflict on a board, healthy, productive conflict. Not political, drama-based conflict, but real conflict where people really care about things. It's a sign of energy, isn't it? It's a sign of life, yeah. I mean, if you don't have it, you've got a problem. If everybody's sitting there going, yeah, 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 then you've got, a, you've got a dysfunctional board. It may not look like it, but it's dysfunctional. Only place I've seen um, where there's no conflict is a cemetery. <laughs> there's conflict in the earth between the body and the ground, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, man. So right. we have, uh, also watching on Facebook is uh, Don Green, who's in Wise, Virginia. Don Green uh, is the executive director of a nonprofit there called the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And Don is sending his, his thank you because this is useful information. So, um, Russell, you want to weigh in on this um, leader making course corrections? This, I think this is a bigger topic than most people realize. Well, you know, running a nonprofit or an organization is just like flying a plane. When you get into a plane, uh, your pilot takes off and they're, they're flying along. They're off course the vast majority of the time. So they spend the whole time course correcting. You know where you're leaving from, you know where you're going, and you get there. But you make a lot of adjustments along the way. And so running an organization is a lot like that. And that's the thing. You know, I, I, uh, I had somebody say to me one time, if, uh, you know, I, I was attending the church uh, many years ago back home. And I said, oh, these guys are all nice. And one of the deacons said, if you like everybody that you've met here, you haven't been to enough services. So, you know, there's going to be that conflict from time to time. Uh, but it's important to be able to come back together at the end of the day and agree on that common goal. How you get there would be interesting and dynamic. If everybody was the same, uh, people would get bored and walk away. Mm. So that dynamic tension is what makes the work exciting. Absolutely. You don't want a bunch of yes people, do you? No, it would be very dull. <laughs> well, well, it's... 
And also we, we have, um, sometimes we create a culture that's the opposite. People are afraid of standing out and, and saying their, their mind. And then the, the real meeting happens in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I knew it was going in there, but here's what I think. So there's a tri triangling going on. So Jeb, um, let's, let's forecast, uh, what does uh, a really great board look like? What are some of the traits? Uh, we were talking about the exceptional board member, so either the board as a whole or the board member. Uh, so tell us what that looks like in, in, from your perspective. Yeah, I think that there's a few dimensions to this. So you have, um, you have the composition of the board uh, itself. So the board should be, I think, somewhat reflective, not entirely one-to-one -one of the people it's serving, but somewhat reflective so that there's a, a connection, an empathetic connection to the uh, service being provided. Um, then I think that, that there should be diversity of, of age, race, gender. It really needs to, to bring in different perspectives. And I don't have an exact formula for that, but I think a healthy board has that some level of diversity there. Um, then getting into like the roles of the board. So you look at that and you say, well, we need someone who's got a legal background, depending upon the organization, uh, financing background, marketing background. That's, it's really important to have that composition as well. So, and then you look at the actual um, uh, activity of the board. That's where I think about engagement. And I think about seven dimensions of engagement. Prepa preparation for a board meeting. Are they preparing? Are they reading the materials? Are they showing up to the meetings? Are they following through on what they said they would do? Are they volunteering, getting involved in the organization so they feel the, the impact of the work? Are they advocating on behalf of the organization? Are they fundraising? So helping raise money, and are they donating? Are they writing the checks? So looking across those seven dimensions and then looking at those other, those other areas, I think that then you need leadership as the last ingredient to make sure that you have that foundation of safety and trust for conflict, which then leads to like that healthy dialogue and the ability of that board to really truly govern the organization. Our friend, Dr. David Gruder, develops a lot of tools around that for people to talk to one another. There's some other resources out there like Difficult Conversations by Doug Bruce Stone and uh, Bruce Patton. So though it's important to be able to do that. But what it boils down to is just being genuine and authentic and, and communicating in respectable ways. Uh, what are some of the tools that you've provided to, uh, to help board members do that in the organizations you work with? I, I, I'm familiar with Crucial Conversations. Is that a similar framework to what you're yeah, discussing there? Yeah, they're two different. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Crucial Conversations is, is wonderful training. I've done that a couple times. I think that's, that's great training. It's, it's a little extensive for a full board to go through. Um, you know, in my experience, I, I've got a background in design thinking, which is a framework which is people-centered, it's empathy-based, it's all about starting with the problem, like trying to, trying to create um, a consensus around what the problem is, not what the solution is. So uh, there's a lot of different uh, exercises that come from that, different ways that you can uh, facilitate small and whole group exercises, you can do research. And so there's a whole toolkit that um, my previous company, Smallbox, used in our work with a lot of nonprofits and with boards to define, for, for instance, organizational values, which is a, a big part of what a board needs to do. They need to be part of that values conversation, mission, vision, uh, those conversations as well. And then you get into strategic planning. 
So there's tools around that from the design thinking background that are very helpful for that. Um, you know, working with the United Way Board uh, here in town, we recently redesigned uh, their entire board governance approach. And it started with working in small groups and, and then, then working with those small groups to bring in ideas uh, and then to socialize, socialize ideas with the larger board to then refine those and then take those back to leadership that then uh, really put them into a plan. Uh, so I, I follow that, that approach, which is a little bit more organic. I do think there's really good tools out there. Uh, my background and training is a little bit more in that design thinking framework, which is uh, more custom to the situation. So, yeah, I think a custom solution is different. Since everybody uh, is different, all of the people on the board are different, what are some, some challenges in making a board run efficiently that you've seen uh, across various types of organizations, maybe some of the universal ones? I think one of them, meetings, right? So meetings, time management, uh, managing the agenda, managing the conversations, making sure that people are uh, staying on topic. You don't have people grandstanding. Every board has somebody that loves to hear themselves talk, right? And it's, there's been times where that's been me sometimes, you know, it's like, you know, it's, I love to hear myself talk. Uh, but having the chair or the executive chair director I think it's best when it's the chair, really. Be an active facilitator and have some facilitation training so they learn how to like bring in others, make sure that everyone has a, that safe space to being heard. I think that's really critical uh, when it comes to productive uh, board experience because everything about the board is that meeting. Now, there's a lot, like you said, the parking lot conversations, you know, that starts to happen a lot when the dysfunction of that meeting deepens. All that stuff starts to ripple out. You start to have phone calls and emails and it's just cascades when that meeting is ineffective. Um, that's the, every, I'm a conductor and every, especially the better they are, musical ensembles, every ensemble in the world rehearses for every performance. We don't rehearse. And mm -hmm. some of the stuff you're talking about is how do we, how do we get better at what we do? Um, and so in a sense, rehearsals and, I'd like to share with you sometime um, later. Uh, meetings are the number one killer of teams. And I have a whole piece that, that says the agenda is the killer of productivity. So conductors don't use agendas for rehearsals. We use deliverables. What are you going to accomplish? Mm -hmm. so like goals for the session. So we focus on outcomes. Mm -hmm. That's a whole reframing. I see everything as, as a rehearsal. I'm sorry. <laughs> sure. Know, we get better at what we do. So you've hit on some, there's a home, so many things you've hit on that are big deal things. We have to be selective here. But I want to go back to this board governance. Russell, he just kind of threw a little zinger in there. It had fire in the name. Did, did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> about, about governance and board. Playing, playing with fire. Playing with fire, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Expand on that a little bit. I, I do believe not having a, a, a ONC insurance, DNC insurance, or what is it, uh, Arizona Missions, Russell, and not having uh, uh, yeah, directors and officers liability insurance you know? policies. Yeah, yeah, it's it's critical to to protect yourself and to keep the structures separate. And compliance is a big deal when it comes to running these organizations. There's a lot of documentation that's required, and uh, 
have you found that boards weren't up to the challenge of uh, keeping all of that in order? Absolutely. I, I just recently joined a board. I joined the board uh, a week later, the board resigned. Not because I joined the board, <laughs> but because of some issues in the organization. And I was, I was the last board member standing. And uh, this was an experience. Uh, and part of it was because the insurance had not been taken care of. And there was other issues and laps uh, that were, were, were not being brought to the board's attention. So it was, a, it was a two-way street. The leadership in the organization wasn't doing its job, but the board wasn't doing its job. So the board needs to push to, to get clarity on those things. And that's part of why they, they, that happened is that they did push, right? Um, and, you know, it was a bit of a mess, right? And so I found myself moving into a chair role when I expected to be a board member and having to really uh, help the organization and, and still now get back up on its feet. Um, it's, it's been a crash course in, um, you know, a lot of these things we're talking about about the value. When I talk about playing with fire, I'm speaking from experience. That's fire. Um, you're talking about, uh, you know, vehicle insurance and, you know, transporting kids and things like that, right? So you got to really think about that stuff because the board's on the hook. The buck stops at the board. The board is the boss. And I don't, I don't think board members really get that when they sign up. I don't think they really get that. And I think that they would take their jobs more seriously if they understood the consequences of not doing their jobs. And I think well, that that's a real failure on leadership, you know, because they're too timid about that conversation. Well, what I had said, you know, that baptism by fire that I got when I went to work for the, the Micmac in a nation is the same baptism by fire you're talking about. But in terms of, of documentation, there's so many things that have to, to be kept in one place. And so uh, does your platform help with that? Does it help to deal with, with governing documents and creating uh, a space where people can collaborate and have these conversations? Because that's another pro common problem. Uh, I'm, I've got my favorite tools that I use to work with, but mm -hmm. I have different clients that like different tools, some mm -hmm. of which I'm not crazy about. Yeah, it's absolutely. About, it's yeah. about getting things done. So I've learned to use a number of different things. But yeah. that's not always conducive to good communication and keeping things uh, working. So uh, talk about if you could address the importance of, of organizing all of your compliance type documents and processes. Yeah, absolutely. So that is entirely what Boardable does. And thanks for the, uh, the pitch there. <laughs> the, um, the problem that we see with a lot of boards is that nothing is in one place. And so when a new board member rolls on, they're, they're literally forwarding them emails. Uh, and then so it's just the mess just grows and expands. Um, so having everything, all documents, everything that you're doing in one place so that no matter what, you've got it, you know, like right here, you know, on the app, you've got the, you've got your directory, you've got your, your documents here, you've got, you can call someone from here, you've got your groups, your agendas, your minutes, your voting, you know, everything you need in one place. Uh, your notifications, your tasks, you know, follow-up items. Um, and you integrate with all those other tools. That's the key here. You have to integrate with Google Docs and Microsoft and Dropbox and calendars and email because people aren't going to stop using those tools. They shouldn't. They, they work, right? We have to meet them where they are. 
So a lot of what we focused on is accepting the board experience as it is and then coming alongside and trying to bring value and augmenting what they're doing. What you don't know is the guy that comes knocking at the door from IRS was, was Russell. So he, he, <laughs> knows, he knows about compliance. There you go. I want to see your corporate record book. And, and so I don't find many, if, if any, uh, executives that understand what the function of the record book is and what should be in there. Is that part of your program as well? Yes. I mean, it automatically organizes all those documents into folders and you can lock and control them depending upon committee access. Um, you know, all the, all those, all those meetings are automatically archived historically who was in attendance, who wasn't in attendance. So that ends up, you know, you can create a report that just shows everything that happened. So when the IRS does knock on the door, you can say, well, here's exactly what we did. Here's how we voted. Here's, here's the, uh, the uh, agenda from that meeting, whatever you need to show them, um, the minutes, et cetera. Um, now, fortunately, I have not been audited yet. Hopefully that doesn't happen here soon. But uh, when Russell does knock on my door, I'm confident, at least with uh, the organizations I'm involved with and, the, and our customers, they'll be ready. Your audit, your audit ready. I, I hope so. I hope so. I'll ask my CFO and see if, see if he, how he answers. So Russell's on a good track here with compliance. I, I do think most are blind to this whole track. Is that that's um, why you got us on here? This sounds like it's uh, really valuable stuff, doesn't it, Russ? It is, you know. And as far as uh, having processes, a lot of the problems revolve around people using a different language in addition to the tools that they think differently. But there are certain things that have to be in place. So if you can create a way where people have that common understanding and can access stuff, uh, Brendan Burchard talks about uh, uh, creating different products, courses, uh, approaching consulting, and he talks about tools. And one of the things that he says is that if it's not easy to access, understand, and use, people aren't going to bother with it. Uh, and meetings get complicated. A tool like that is Hughes' uh, Hughes uh, publication on conducting successful meetings because it really breaks things down and makes it very manageable. Absolutely. If the, you can't use the tool, if, it, if you can't log in, if it's frustrating, confusing, you'll give it 10, 15, maybe 30 seconds. And then at that point, you're going to go back to what you know. And the, this is where the, the things get hard because the organization often caters to the board. They want the board to be taken care of. If the board says this isn't working for me, whatever it is, whether it's boardable or something else, then they'll print out the packet. They'll, they'll do whatever they need to do to help the board. And I think this, this is where I think it's good and bad. I mean, it's good to take care of your board. The board needs that information. But I also think sometimes the organization needs to push the board more than they do. Too often, I think they cater and kind of, um, you know, capitulate to the board instead of pushing the board to do best practices in terms of how they want to communicate. But they got to give them tools that are easy to use. Uh, that's super critical. So, Jeb, let's take a case study. Is that all right? A real life sure. situation. Um, I'm coming on. As I'm the president of the board. It's the board chair of Lynchburg Symphony. We got 24 board members. Uh, a third rotate each each year. It's a three-year gig. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had a little more attrition because of moving and family situation. So we got 10 new members coming in. And so that a week and a half from now, we're doing our 
or strategy. Some people call it a retreat. We're going to charge. We're not retreating. So it's a, it's a work session, which is different from a board meeting. So we have a planning right. session and I have really highly skilled um, uh, board members that are committee chairs so development and finance and events and concert programs, obviously, and, you know, those kinds of things. So we're, we're mapping the future and our, our proprietary um, strategy is called a solution map. Where do you want to be and how are you going to get there? Mm-hmm. So it's the, the basic rubrics of a strategic plan, but it's, it's, it's more nonprofit friendly. So we're doing our planning session I've already met with all the board chairs and the new conductor. So we're starting a new era with a new conductor and I'm succeeding a, a president who put a lot of systems in place. So I'm inheriting a soundboard in the South organization financially and structurally, and we're moving it up a tick. So what do you think is the most important things that I should do with incoming board members as we strategize on our work and integrating our work together as we plan for the next five years and specifically the next year, one year? Well, I think that the onboarding piece is critical. We talked about that earlier, making sure they know what is expected of them, what their role is. So I think that's important. I think assigning them a board mentor is really important as well, if that's something that you can do. Someone that can kind of give them a little navigational help that's more on a peer level. I think the third thing is getting them into committee assignment as soon as possible um, because they need to feel like they've got a, a role on the board. So this big, the board meeting, they probably are going to feel mostly as an observer for a while. They may ask some questions, but they not, may not feel like they have a really defined role. So I think that, that onboarding, setting uh, roles and you know, responsibilities, getting them a mentor, getting them on a committee uh, are three just initial things that you can do that I think will increase their um, engagement and, and make them feel like they're part of something. Um, but you know, that's, that's, to me, like the initial phase. Hey, Russell, I did all of those. Good yes. job. Yes, you did. And building a board book. So... When people go through our leadership symposium, it's it's a board book. And it it sort of lays out a big picture overview and some of the things that you'll do. And he's got other materials he's built that actually take leaders through a process. It's a reflective process. But having what we call a board book uh, has the information that people need. And setting up some training around that and having them go through that, and as well as having a mentor, is really great. But as you're bringing somebody on board, you want to find out what lights their fire. What mm-hmm. is something they just can't wait to get out of bed to do? Uh, they're going to have some ownership around that. They're going to have all sorts of ideas around that. And uh, good leaders build better leaders and, and build leaders. So... Uh, you set the parameters for success and you turn them loose and let them, let them run with it. <laughs> That's a great point. I think, I think tapping into what they're passionate about is critical. Um, you know, that's often the conversation before they join the board, but it can be, it can be an ongoing conversation of like the why, right? What's the why here? Because there has to be some alignment between their why and the organization's why. If, if that's missing, then there's gonna, they're not going to be engaged. There'll be misalignment, and that, that leads to dysfunction. Uh, it can be challenging. Yo, I like that word, dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> well, people, people are asked a lot of times, especially if they're effective, they're highly visible, 
everybody except Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny is running after them to get them to go on to their board of directors. I guess that's fine if they got the bandwidth to do it. But, uh, what I've seen on occasion is that uh, they're, not, they're not really clear with what they want to do, uh, what they want to accomplish. And they don't, they're not sure what they want from the board members. Typically, they, they find people who they love and adore, who they're very good friends with, who support them. But they don't always take that inventory of what it is exactly that they need uh, and can't always define that commitment. So uh, what are some of the things that you've seen and how have you been able to address those types of issues? In terms of uh, al aligning uh, their commitment? With yes. The uh, well, yeah, and, and crafting a set of expectations. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest, I haven't done that as much as I should have uh, because I was – sharing so the previous time I was chairing two nonprofits that I co-founded and we were like startups. And so it was, it was the bootstrap situation where the founders became the board members. And then we added on from there and, and grew from there. Um, now with the, the board I'm, I'm rejuvenating right now, we're in triage mode. So we are just trying to get up and running with the uh, larger board. I serve on the United way board they're much more intentional about this experience. And it's been good to watch from that perspective. Of they really do that. You know, I have a financial commitment to the board that I'm making, uh, which is important. And a lot of boards have that. Uh, the more mature and functional boards, which this one certainly is, it really knows what it's doing. They're very intentional. They have a full-time administrator working with the board. Uh, there's, there's really clear commitments. There's things I sign every year. Um, so they, uh, they talk about it a lot, and then they have one-on-one -on -one sessions with me every year to talk about my giving, to talk about where I'm going within my life, like how's United Way going to be a part of that. Um, and so I've seen that be, be really effective. Now, I see it more with my customers, but I'm speaking from my own experience. Uh, I've been on the more startup side of boards, and I think this, when a board is starting up, there's a whole other conversation, but the startup phase is very different then the, you sort of the startup and then you have the growth and you have the, the cruise, right? And the cruising control one is more like where the United Way is, where it's very healthy, big, knows what it's doing. Um, it's different dynamics and you have different needs. So it changes as, as the board changes. Yeah, and I think that a lot of the tools that we put together here at CineVision address organizations at different stages, but what I love about the model that he was created is that it, it's perfect for somebody that is starting. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you can structure everything right and think it through out of the chute, uh, which isn't always the case, uh, you're going to have fewer problems later. For okay. sure. And thank you for highlighting that. Um, what I see, um, Jeb, is that we, we do the people part of this and what's missing is all the stuff you've highlighted, the, the, the plethora of emails that's a, that's a cancer. And, you know, we, I remember when we didn't have email, when we didn't have the internet, when we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have texting. You know, we keep adding things, we never take anything away. Mm -hmm. And so people are just bombarded, and sometimes they don't read anything. So I want to go back, um, you've, you've covered so many important topics here, but one, and Russell, probably you never saw this happen, but I've seen it happen where board members come unprepared to a meeting. 
That never seen happens. that happen? Never seen when that happen? Did, when did that start? <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. Well, they're busy people. And, you know, they leave a board member meeting and they get sucked into the vortex of life. And then next thing they know, oh, here's a meeting coming up at six o'clock. And, uh, oh, my word, I didn't do, what was I supposed to do? So it's the engagement piece, I think, that keeps people tuned in in between meetings. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of my missions in meetings is to teach people that we don't work at meetings, we work between meetings. Mm-hmm. So we check in, it's an accountability system. Now, a planning session is very different, but a regular board meeting, we're reporting on what we've done and then we define what we're going to do and look for those, those points of collaboration and, and collision <laughs> that, that we want to work on. So speak a little bit about those, those topics. Yeah, I think that you're totally right. It's the in-between that's so important, in-between those board meetings. And, and so often board members think of their board service as simply the meeting. They think, here I am, I'm in the meeting. And there are some boards where that is truly their role. This gets back to defining roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. If all they're doing is being advisory or really just, just simply sitting there listening and deciding and that's all they're doing, that's one thing. But a healthy board uh, has uh, projects and activities running in between the meeting. Uh, and to do that, that, there's a lot of management to that. And there's a lot of pieces to that. And it means that you have to set that expectation up front of what kind of hours a month are you committing when you join this board? And very few boards have that conversation. They talk about the board meetings. They talk maybe about the committees. But talking about the hours you're going to commit and spend, this is two hours a week, three hours a week. Uh, this is, we expect you to be able to come in for a meeting, uh, expect, you know, et cetera. We just redesigned all the committees at United Way. It's been a pretty fascinating experience. And we're moving more towards work groups. So it'll be more like ad, ad hoc. Is this getting you excited? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, there's the old adage that committees are a place where good ideas go to die. Right, right. <laughs> so I, I respect that committees are still the, 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 um, the primary uh, vehicle for a lot of organizations, a lot of our customers. And I, I, I think that there are healthy committees and there's, but the idea more of being uh, ad hoc subject matter experts that come together as needed around a problem to solve that problem. And that those are being formed as needed and during board meetings before, in, in, you know, between board meetings, and then they're reporting back and you have a platform, uh, whether it's boardable or something else where they're able to collaborate able to share content documents and that creates visibility to others in the organization so that that work's not happening in a silo entirely in a silo uh, then it makes that work more uh, effective it multiplies that work um, so yeah that 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 move I think's uh, a good one uh, it gets people like something to do like they I hate sitting in a committee meeting and feeling like I've got nothing to do with what's being talked about I want to feel like I've got some skin in the game. Absolutely. You just, this, hey, Russell, listen to music to our ears, isn't it? This is great stuff. You know, solution sessions are, are great because you got to get in there. You got to get it done. Uh, you don't have time to kind of goof around. Mm-hmm. And so having people with the right information and that's, you know, understanding the roles and how everybody fits. Is something that can be that that's communication. That's communication. That's where things slip through the cracks. When somebody says, I thought you were going to take care of it. Well, didn't we agree that you were going to take care of it? Mm-hmm. And you end up in this back and forth and you definitely want to stay out of that 
you want to stay out of finger pointing as well, because what you're doing is too important. Uh, finger pointing solves no problems. Uh, it, it keeps you away from, from course correcting. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Love it. So um, my meetings always end with uh, an action plan. Who's going to do it? Mm -hmm. uh, what's the action to do what who's going to do it who's the champion and then what's the deadline and then it also ends up with the communication board you know what's a specific message somebody that's not here needs to know and who was going to tell them mm -hmm. and, and we don't think of those things and we we sit around and talk about things to do and everybody assumes the, the facilitator's going to do them <laughs> right, and right. go and leave and so um man there's been a really lot a lot of very helpful content here um, so, um, what are board ambassadors? I want to ask you two questions. What are board ambassadors? And also there are, there are groups, there's, there's governance and, and financial oversight, which is your board of directors. Um, the symphony has an advisory council mm -hmm. and they are just what you said. They, we ask their advice and their counsel. And then we have advisors at large people that we call from time to time, to give us advice. Those are the three sets of people that we have that are connected, but the board of directors is fitting into the role that you're talking about. That's the board that is responsible for this organization. Are there other entities besides committees or work groups or, you know, project teams? Are there mm -hmm. other entities you find are helpful? Yeah, you always have uh, YP boards are always good, I think, to create a feeder system for the main board, young, young professional boards. Um, so there's sort of that, that group of, of uh, younger people in their career, in their, in their 20s often, that are rising their careers. Um, uh, we see that happening more and more with nonprofits. Uh, they have YP boards, and, and they can pick from those boards as, the, as you see leadership emerge. I like that system. I, I think that you see who shows up, you see who gets things done. Uh, and that, that also gets to that age diversity issue, which I think is a real problem with a lot of boards. A lot of boards I see, certainly on boards that we serve, struggle to get those younger board members. Um, and it's two things. One, I, I think that the younger board members don't have awareness around the opportunity. And, and two, I think they're a little intimidated uh, by it as well. So the YP board's a, a good piece for that. Um, board ambassadors, I mean, that could be more on the emeritus side as well of folks that have been on the board for a while that, that are no longer in an active role, but are still really important connectors uh, in the community and you want to keep them involved. That's one way to think about it, but perhaps you have a different, different thought on, on that term. Just curious, curious what you're thinking. I love that. I love that. It's a vacuum in my thinking. That's so helpful. We do see a lot of old gray haired, you know, it's the old white guy and yeah. uh, let's see way too much of that. So, uh, I've, I have changed the symphony board uh, so far. You know, I'm 11 days I'm in. It's it's already a different board with people. I, I had a good board to build on, so I'm not I'm not mm -hmm. saying it was bad before, but we're adding some of those elements of diversity. Russell, we got about three minutes for a short question before we go into our sponsor message and then give Jeb all the things you got to say. What are you going to choose to end up with? <laughs> give us a parting shot. Well, well, we're, we're talking about uh, bringing youth in. Uh, I like the idea of what I call reverse mentoring, where there's this knowledge exchange between generations. And uh, yes, I went to a, a United Veterans Committee Colorado meeting this morning. Lots of gray hair. And yes, the brown guys get gray hair too. So you have some <laughs> gray-haired brown guys sitting around some of the meetings as well. But but this whole notion of diversity, and I, I had a marvelous week last week helping Carol Carter 
with Global Minded at the Be The Solution conference here in Denver. And it's, it was the whole event was about diversity and inclusion. Uh, and if people don't feel like they're a part of something, they're not going to participate. So uh, that's a serious uh, topic. We covered that. It might be time for us to do another diversity and inclusion panel. You, it's it's, uh, but that's very important. So uh, I I'm just curious as to uh, and you've been on on several different boards. Uh, what has the composition of your board looked like, and, and uh, did you what did you need to do to kind of help that along, or make any adjustments to make sure you had a lot of bandwidth of ideas and, and energy? Yeah, I think each board has been very unique in this aspect. the the um, The Speakeasy was founded by a bunch of white guys, you know, so we really had to be intentional about. Um, diversifying the member base. So that's the people that came that were members of the organization, the, the co-working space along with the board. Um, and, and not in a um, check the box kind of way, but in a legitimate, like how do we get real different perspectives into this? How do we get women into this? How do we, you know, and, and I'm really proud of where the board is now. Um, it's had three female executive directors uh, in a row. It's uh, got a great diverse uh, board consistently. Um, you know, in terms of the board I'm working with now, it's, it's very diverse as well. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity um, to, to improve here. It's, it's tricky because I think that there isn't natural pathways for people in different demographics to explore board service. Um, I think this is a real challenge in, especially in certain populations in, in Indianapolis, they don't even, there's no awareness around it whatsoever. So this is part of the, the you know, we have a three-phase roadmap, uh, board management, which is the logistical side of it, board engagement, which gets into all the things we talked about in terms of nudging behavior uh, towards people like, you know, doing what they say they're going to do, you know, et cetera. And then um, board talent. Uh, so really trying to give a, a tool to boards to, get that talent to have a matrix to see what kind of uh, diversity they have now, what kind of skills do they have now, um, you know, and then a marketplace for them to go and connect with people. And then we market that marketplace to populations that don't currently think of board service. Uh, so that's where we're taking the product. Um, this speaks to my desire um, to create more opportunity for others, because I feel like this, um, the system's been rigged uh, and uh, there's an opportunity to use technology and marketing and content to um, bring others into it because a board role can be transformative in the life of a, of a person. It can, it can broaden their network and connections. It can open doors that wouldn't have been opened and it can lead to careers and opportunities that were not available to them without that role. So to bring more of those roles to people of different backgrounds, not just of my background, but all kinds of backgrounds. You know, I'm a very privileged person. I, I, I grew up with parents that volunteered at nonprofits. And, you know, I, I, this is the culture I came from. It's what I know. But to give this experience to others is, is where we see the, the company going. That is, thank you on behalf of nonprofits for doing this. This is so, this works so, so important. Um, we're going to be having more conversations. Uh, uh, Russell, I can smell 
some some cross, uh, cross support here, some some maybe uh, more conversations about what we have in alignment because we have things, you have things that would be a whole lot better together. Um, our our work is uh, sponsored by uh, several companies, and we continue talking about WordSprint because WordSprint is our constant supporter. It's called Top of Mind Marketing. Hmm. When you only send your donors a letter and when it's time to solicit funds, they might do it out of obligation. But wouldn't you rather they do it out of passion for what they've experienced and what they've learned has happened with their previous donation? So Bill Gilmer at WordSprint, it's a print house, but it's a mailing house and it's a marketing company. So it's 30% is the message. You need to talk about what you've accomplished to the right person in a rhythm that's a regular rhythm. They want to hear about you. That's 30, 30, 30%. And the 10% is, it's got to look nice, but too fancy, it works against you. So we're continuing to build relationship with people who have trusted you with their investment. So there's donor retention and there's donor acquisition. So they're going to tell other people because they've seen the work that you're doing. Wordsprint.com, they print Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine, and we mail it out to our tribe. And they get tools from people like Jeb Banner. How do you raise the bar on your board performance? Because you probably have an amazing vision for bringing goodness to the world, impacting people's lives. What's keeping you from achieving that? Well, it's discovering. And we've discovered that leadership is a constantly expanding field of knowledge and experience, and it's an ongoing learning experience. So wordsprint.com is where you find that. Nonprofitperformance.org. Nonprofitperformance.org is where our magazine is. And you can read past issues right there. And you can join our online community for community builders, where you can get all these kinds of leadership resources in one place. And you can talk to nonprofit leaders around the country because we have some similar challenges. And Russell mentioned a symposium. We do live leadership empowerment symposium events with multiple speakers. And the next ones are going to be in Fort uh, no, West Palm Beach, sorry, West Palm Beach, Florida, and Orlando, Florida. And it's West Palm, no, no, it's leadershipwestpalm.org, leadershipwestpalm.org, or orlandoleadership.live. We'll put this in the body of this, this message. So we have lots of resources, and we connect you with people like Jeb Banner, who have amazing resources. Jeb, I'm going to take us out with... Um, Give us the, the list again of what are some of the top traits of an effective board member, and then what thought do you want to leave us with? And then Russell will close out this great interview. Yeah, I, the, the seven things I discussed earlier, uh, board member is prepared for meetings. They're showing up. They're following through. They're volunteering in the organization. They're advocating on behalf of the organization. That's that ambassador piece. They're helping fundraising, fundraise, and they're donating. They're writing a check themselves. Um, those are the seven dimensions that, that we look at and uh, increasingly look to measure in our product. And if, do you want, what, what was the other question? Final thought. What tip do you have for people to listen to this or what challenge, uh, what do you want to say to people as we close out this really great interview? Thank you. I think my number one tip to board leader, people that are on the leadership side is um, if you're not comfortable having hard conversations, whether it's the, the difficult conversations or crucial conversations, training, 
take the time to do some training, learn how to have those conversations in a way that's productive. I firmly believe that the difference between a good and a great organization is a lot of hard conversations. And so that skill set's uh, really important to build as a leader. Jeb Bander, it's been a remarkable hour. Thank you so much for coming to share your wisdom with us. And, and uh, if you attend one of those leadership symposiums, we talk about these crucial conversations and how you go about having them. One of the things we talk about is creating an agreement that, we, that Hugh actually calls a covenant. Mm-hmm. And so we, we're working on a covenant at church on how we talk to each other and setting 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 the stage for how we talk to each other, approach things, deal with things so that we can remain focused on that mission. And I know that all of you that tune in here want to stay focused on that mission. You want to keep making the impact in the lives of other people that you serve. And we thank you for that. And we urge you to keep doing that. The Nonprofit Exchange comes to you every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a podcast. We're here live, of course, on the air on Facebook through Zoom webinar. Uh, You can go to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe to the podcast. That way you won't miss, miss an episode. So we look forward to seeing you here next Tuesday at the very same time. Until then, keep making the difference in the lives of others. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.